Well, it's great to be with you today. And we come to an important topic of the, the subject of Islam in general, and in particular Islam for Christians, because as Christians we, we want to know uh, something about this religion. And I guess for many of us as Christians, we have little idea. You may have learnt something at school, but I think for most Christians that I speak to, like most uh, Western people in Australia that I speak to, that they know little about it. And so what I'm aiming to do today is to, 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 outline, Christ, uh, to outline Islam for Christians and to, to look at a few different areas of comparison where we have things in similar and things where we're distinct from each other. But if you're a Muslim, then you're still welcome. And in fact, I'd encourage you to make some comments at the end. If we've got till the quarter past, I'll try to finish up at, say, uh, in 20 to 25 minutes so that we've got some time for questions where you can say things to me at the end. And I'm more than happy for that, as that's what we normally do. Um, what I want to do is to go take you through the notes that you have. So if you have a look at your notes there, you'll see there's a whole series of titles there. And I'm going to be going through those titles. Um, so some things will just be general data, like who, when, where and what. And then I'll be moving on to some other issues where I look at, you know, compare and contrast with these areas in terms of Christianity in the Quran, Jesus in Islam and Christianity, how is someone saved, the rule of God and the Bible and the Quran. And, uh, and, and, at, the end, and at the end there, the Bible and the Quran, why I believe a Christian should stay a Christian. Why I believe a Christian should stay a Christian. So I'm going to be working through those notes. You've got them there. And uh, we'll make a start. Well, I think when most people talk about Islam, we give the, the basic details. And that's not a bad place to start as to who, when, where and what. So I'm going to just do a little bit about that because you may not know. The name Islam uh, means is, is the Arabic word for submission. And that is actually the name of the religion of Islam. That, that, that's its official name that it, it's known by. In the same way that as Christians we're known uh, as, you know, as Christians and Christianity. Muslim is the name of the adherent of the religion. Now, the way things work in Arabic is that if you put an M at the front, it generally means the person who does it. And so you'll notice that if you take the M and U off, you're sort of left with Islam again. Okay, if you look at the consonants. And so that's what it, is, that's what it means there. An M at the front means the person who does Islam. Uh, Muhammad is the main prophet in the religion of Islam. And so you often hear Muslims speaking about Muhammad, that they believe in other prophets as well, but Muhammad is the, is the chief prophet for them. Allah is the name for God. So whereas for Christians we might say the name of God is Yahweh, uh, for, for Muslims the name of God is, Yahweh, is Allah, so it's a different name. The main books within Islam are the Quran, which is the most important book, but uh, to some degree equally important are the books known as the Hadith. And these are the, the sayings and teachings of Muhammad as well. Now, when did all of this happen? Well, it's around the year 600 AD is when Muhammad is alive and, uh, and beginning this religion. And I've got a map there. You can see on the map uh, there's the, the towns of Mecca and Medina. And they are the two main cities of Muhammad's activities. And um, so if you're reading anything about Muhammad's life, it's normally when he was in Mecca and when he was in Medina, they're the two parts of Muhammad's life, when he lived in one city and when he lived in another. J just briefly, Islam has uh, a number of basic beliefs that they would present to us. The, the beliefs are 
very strict belief in the oneness of God and there is one God. Uh, the belief in supernatural beings like angels, genies and Satan. Belief in the holy books of the prophets. Belief in the prophets themselves and in the day of judgment. And there are the five pillars of Islam, uh, which again, these are the types of things I guess we often hear, and so I'm not going to spend too much time on these, but just to flag them, there's the five daily prayers that Muslims will pray, their confession of faith, that there is one God, Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet, the, the giving of money for various Islamic causes called the zakat, the pilgrimage to Mecca, and the fasting during the month of Ramadan. Again, I'm not going to spend much time on those because th th that's what we often hear at school, those types of summaries and descriptions, but I feel like I need to just outline them briefly there. So that's the who, what, when and where. We're talking about the 6th century and the, the start of a, a new religion in Arabia. Now, I want to look at, um, uh, because I'm particularly wanting to look at a, a Christian understanding of Islam, I, I want to start with the topic of the other and how does Islam understand the other and understand Christians? Because it may surprise you that the Quran talks about Christianity a lot. Christians are not, uh, you know, like a, not a topic in the Quran. They're actually a major topic in the Quran. And so, if you're a Christian here today, you are a major topic of Islamic discussion, and you need to realise that. I want to, to give you a couple of examples here about Christian beliefs and Christians in the Quran. So have a look at the first one here. They said in boast, we killed Christ Jesus, the son of Mary, the apostle of God. But they killed him not, nor crucified him. But so it was made to appear to them. And those who differ about this are full of doubts with no certain knowledge, uh, but only conjecture to follow. For of certainty, they killed him not. And so the Quran has an understanding of the death of Jesus. And it says, he was not crucified, he did not die on the cross. So that's very significant for Christians to be saying that type of thing. Uh, if you move on, it says here, they are unbelievers who say God is the third of three. Now, does anyone want to put up their hand and tell me what do you think this verse might be talking about? God is the third of three. What, what could that be referring to? Yes, sir. Trinity. The Trinity, yes. Yeah. So the, because the, remember that Islam comes 600 years after Christianity. It's a long time. And it, uh, it says here, God is the third of, uh, they are unbelievers who say God is the third of three. There is no God but one, one God. The Messiah, son of Mary, was only a messenger. Messengers before him passed away. His mother was just a woman. They both ate food. Now, the Quran's understanding of the Trinity is of God, Mary, and Jesus. And so that, that's not the Christian understanding, but it's the understanding Muhammad's picked up. But it, it, it's still, the idea sort of is there. And it's certainly rejected. Um, look at the next verse. It is not fitting that the merciful should take to himself a son. There is none in the heavens and the earth who will come to the merciful except as a slave. And so, whereas Christians are very much, uh, very much rejoice in the idea that God is our father and we are sons and daughters of God, that the Quran doesn't have that idea. God is not your father. In fact, it rebukes Christians for saying that that they are sons of God and God is their father. And it says, no, um, can we actually get that door shut? There's a gentleman out there just with a truck doing some work. Um, uh, and so, so what you find is that it rejects the idea of the fatherhood of God and any expression of the son of God. Nobody in any way can be that. All you can be is a slave. Now, Christians can, of course, uh, the, the Quran has a, a varied 
response to Christians, depending upon where Muhammad was at that particular time of his life. So sometimes we will read here, you will certainly find the nearest in friendship to those who believe, that is Muslims, to be those who say we are Christians. And so there is this element within Islam that uh, earlier on in Muhammad's life, that, that Christians are the nearest to Muslims in friendship. But then we also have a, a different picture at the end of Muhammad's life, where you can read the next quote there, uh, fight those who believe not in God in the last day and do not forbid what God and his messenger Muhammad have forbidden. Such men as practice not the religion of truth, that is the, uh, Islam, being of those who have, have been given the book. Unto, unto, so, so in other words, fight the Christians and the Jews until they pay the tribute, uh, the jizya, out of hand and being humbled. The Jews say Ezra is the son of God. The Christians say the Messiah is the son of God. That is the utterance of their mouths, conforming with the unbelievers before them. God assail them, how they are perverted. It is he who has sent his messenger with the guidance and the religion of truth that he may uplift it above every religion. So this is really Muhammad's great commission at the end of his life. And you can see that because of what Christians believe, they're to be conquered and subjugated. And, uh, and so there's a, a spectrum of, of teaching in the Quran about Christians. But well, I guess I just want to point out there, there's a fair bit of interaction with Christianity that, that you need to be aware of. If you're trying to understand Islam as a Christian, you need to understand you're a major topic in the Quran in terms of all of your major doctrines, the death of Jesus, the incarnation, the Son of God, the Trinity. They don't get much bigger than that, do they? So they're in there, and then political and military engagement with you is also a major topic within Islam itself. Now, the, the, when we think about Christians, though, and how we think about Islam, well, we're in a very different situation because in the Bible, Muhammad's not mentioned and there, there is no talk about Islam. Jesus doesn't uh, dis discuss things with Muslims. And, uh, you know, the apostles, when they go out evangelising, they don't talk to Muslims, do they? And so the result is that whereas the Quran speaks extensively about engaging with Christians at, at every level... The Bible never talks about Muslims and engaging with them at all. And so for us, it's, it's a, a secondary application that we need to apply, and we can apply. But th you can see the result is that within the Islamic world, understanding something about Christianity is compulsory, whereas for Christians, understanding things about Islam is optional. And so that's just a helpful thing for us to understand as we talk to our Muslim friends that they may have had a lot more teaching about you than you have of them because it's actually compulsory for them to do that. Um, and so you may feel unprepared uh, when you speak to a Muslim, and that's because it's, it's optional, and that's why I go around doing what I do. Now, Jesus in Islam and Christianity, well, I've sort of outlined some of this already, and so I'll only briefly pass over this. Within Islam, Jesus is just a, a messenger of God, just a prophet. And so he denies that he is God, the, uh, his death on the cross is denied, uh, the, the Trinity is denied, him being God incarnate is denied, all those ideas. So Jesus is just a prophet, whereas in Christianity we would see that Jesus is God come amongst us, God dwelling amongst us and, uh, and living the life of the, of the perfect man, the perfect Messiah to save us. So we have two quite different understandings of Jesus. Now I want to move on to the subject of how is a person saved? Because that's a point of interest for Christians. As Christians, we often think, uh, we're often very clear on the subject of 
how I am saved. And so to become a Christian, if you want to know how to become a Christian, the way you become a Christian very often is by, by understanding what God has done for you to save you. It's a really essential part of our religion. So again, if you're not a Christian, the Christian message is that Christ has died for our sins and has been raised to, to new life. Uh, his death on the cross paying for our sins and his resurrection bringing the future and, and our new life with God and that that's the only way to be saved. It's all about what God has done for us. But, but in Islam, it's quite different uh, because they don't have the death of Jesus. It, it's quite different. In Islam, you, uh, sin is not the same problem as it is in Christianity. In, in fact, whereas in Christianity you can't save yourself, you need God to save you, in Islam you can. You can do it. In Islam, you are born pure and clean from sin. Sin has not corrupted our nature. It's not who we are. It is just something that we may do. And the goal of life is to stay clean, to stay clean. Some people will stay clean well, like the prophets, and say they're at a higher level than us. Uh, Other people may not. Uh, And we sin because God has made us weak and other people lead us astray. And so what we need is guidance so that we can do good works. And that's a bit of a summary as to how Islam would would work. Now, often Muslims will say to us that Allah just forgives, that in Islam you've just got to ask for forgiveness and God will forgive you. But that's not really quite what the Quran says. You actually need to earn Allah's mercy and forgiveness. And so there are many verses like this, but if you look at the next one on your notes, those who believe and do righteous deeds will have forgiveness and a great reward. And so forgiveness is one of the promises of the afterlife. You may have it to some degree now, but really forgiveness is, is, the, is a reward for the future. Um, Allah has not done anything to save you except to give you guidance. And so what this means is if God has not done something to save you, then what that means is everything saves you. Everything saves you. So if you do some righteous act here, that will help save you. If you do a righteous act over there, that will help save you. So everything saves you when it's up to you. And so within Islam, doing the religion, doing particularly the religious practices of fasting and pilgrimage and giving of the money and confession of faith, that these religious activities earn credit with God. Um, And uh, sometimes even doing good deeds will atone for your bad deeds. If you look at your next quote there, if you make public, uh, if you make public your alms giving, that is giving money to the poor, that is excellent. But if you conceal it and give to the poor, that is better for you. It will atone for some of your evil, uh, atone for some of your evil deeds for you. And so you see how doing the religious practices saves you. Doing some good deeds over here with alms giving will help atone for some of your sins. But sometimes you can get somebody else to do this for you. So this from, comes from the Hadith of Bukhari. Uh, this is narrated by Ibn Abbas, which is Muhammad's cousin. Uh, a man came to the Prophet Muhammad and said, O oh, Allah's Apostle, my mother died and she ought to have fasted one month. Uh, she missed doing that in Ramadan. Shall I fast on her behalf? The Prophet replied in the affirmative and said, Allah's debts have more right to be paid. And so I've got a fairly close Muslim friend who actually went on pilgrimage to Mecca on behalf of his mother and his righteousness was given to her. And so, so that's another way that you can be saved. You see how like the, 
in Islam, it's all these different things save you. Uh, and, and then what happens at the end when you stand before God is that there are scales set up. And so we read there, then those whose scales are heavy, they are successful. And those whose scales are light, uh, those who lose their soul, uh, they are those who lose their soul in hell abiding. And so the, the picture is, you know, a fairly straightforward one. You're going to stand before God. There's going to be a set of scales. If you've got more good deeds, that's good. If you don't, that's not so good. You're going to go to hell. However, the way that God has mercy on you is that if you are a believing Muslim, uh, but you don't have enough good deeds, he's going to tip the scales in your favour. He's going to tip the scales in your favour. So have a look at that next quote there. Who, and it's speaking of Muslims here. It says, whoever brings a good deed will receive tenfold the like thereof, while whoever brings an ill deed will be rewarded but the like thereof, and they will not be wronged. And so even if you're a Muslim and you believe and you really have faith in God and you haven't got enough good deeds, then Allah is going to multiply your good deeds. He's going to count them as more than actually what's there. He's going to tip the scales in your favour. So anyway, you can see from that that when we, it's important for Christians to understand that in Islam, Allah has not done anything to save you. It's up to you to save yourself. And you do religious deeds and, you know, or, or get them done for you by somebody else, just any way you possibly can to earn more credit so that on the day of judgment you'll have more weight, more good deeds. And if that still doesn't work, then Allah's going to tip the scales in your favour because you've believed in him. So I hope you can see there are, there are two very different ways of being saved. For us, it's what God has done for us in saving us in Jesus. For Muslims, it's what I've just been outlining there. Now, the rule of God is another interesting one uh, that I think I've got time to look at quickly. So the, the rule of God in Christianity and Islam is quite different. And I, I think it's important for Christians to know this because... Um, It just helps them to understand Muslim behaviour around the world. For Christians, when it comes to God's rule and God's rule being in this world, the message of the Bible is, you can't do it. And so when we look at the history of the nation of Israel and other people in the Bible, we see that they failed to bring God's rule. They failed to live as God's people. They failed to be his kings, his prophets. So they failed to bring God's rule to this world in the way they were meant to. And the result is that God says, instead of bringing glory to my name, you've brought blasphemy to my name. And I'm going to bring my kingdom. It's going to be the resurrection kingdom in which you will be changed to be righteous. And this is going to happen at the resurrection. And so the way the Old Testament finishes is that God's going to bring his resurrection kingdom. And the Messiah is, in particular, is the one through whom God will bring his resurrection kingdom. Now, in Islam, it's very different because they don't have the doctrine that sin has corrupted you. In Islam, it has a very positive view that humans can bring the rule of God. And so they are waiting for the resurrection, but not to bring the rule of God. If you go back to that uh, major quote at the end of the first section where it says, um, you see in your first section, page, I'm not sure what page it is, Christians in Christianity in Islam. Have a look at that last quote. Just have a look at the last sentence there. It says, It is he who has sent his messenger Muhammad with the guidance and the religion of truth that he may uplift it 
above every religion. And it says this many times in the Quran. And so the Quran has a very positive view that Muslims are able to bring God's rule to this earth. Now, the way that Muhammad did that was he didn't send out missionaries or evangelists. He sent out jihadists and they conquered a massive area. Uh, the Roman Empire in the east fell before them. The Persians fell before them. And they established the Islamic Empire all the way from Western China, all the way across North Africa, up into Spain and or up into Paris. And, uh, and then for about 1,200 years, Islam ruled the world. And in Islamic history, this is known as the Golden Period. And, uh, and so Islam has a, a different way of bringing God's rule. It's, it's through military activity and the establishment of a human empire on earth. Um, now, it, it fell apart and it no longer exists and various Muslims are trying to rebuild it. But we have a very different view about how you bring God's kingdom. For Christians, it's the resurrected Lord Jesus brings the kingdom of God. For Muslims, it's, it's we do it. We can bring God's kingdom. And so you see different groups uh, trying to bring, trying to do that and establish God's kingdom uh, and fulfill Muhammad's great commission. I want to finish up now in the last five minutes on the... Um, sorry, is that clock what we're going from? So that's fine. Okay. Um, I, I want to finish up by looking at the Bible and the Quran now because I think one of the problems we can have as Christians is that we don't know much about the Quran and when we don't know much about something, we just tend to go with our assumption... And I found that most Muslims, uh, most Muslims and Christians will think of each other that our books are sort of the same. You know, and so I was speaking to a, an Iraqi Muslim recently and he said, oh yeah, the Bible's sort of like the Quran. And I've spoken to Christians who say, yeah, the, the Quran's sort of like the Bible. Well, I, I want to say that uh, they may be both treated as the word of God by each of their religions, but the books are actually very, very different. And you'll see that diagram you've got there. The Bible is actually not one book. It's not one book, but a collection of many books from many prophets over a long period of time uh, from different locations, different languages. Okay? So many prophets, different locations, different languages. It's not one book. Now, why do Christians have so many different books of prophets in it? You know, why do they have the, the law of Moses in it? Why do they have the Psalms of David in the Bible? Why do they have all the different books of the Bible in there? Why do they have all these prophets in there? Well, it's because Christians believe all the prophets and they make no distinction between them. And so we, we read all the prophets. I guess for most of us Christians, we just take that for granted. But you need to understand that's actually very unique, as you're going to see in a moment, that other religions don't have all the books of the prophets. Uh, they have something quite different. And so what Christians believe comes from reading all of the prophets. What we believe comes from reading all of the prophets. The prophets build on each other and they are meant to be read together. And so that's what we have in the Bible. Now the Quran is very different. The Quran is just what Muhammad recited and claimed came from God. So the Quran is just one man and what he recited. So it's very different to the Bible. The Bible is a collection of many prophets over a long period of time, different locations, different languages, different religions even. The Quran is just one man. And so when, when Muslims say to you that they believe in Jesus, what they mean is they believe everything Muhammad said about Jesus. When they say they believe in Moses, that they don't read the law of Moses the way Christians do. They, they believe everything Muhammad said about Moses. And so in this way, Islam is quite similar to the Baha'i religion, which likewise has 
um, a, a prophet, Baha'i Allah, and, and he, he instructs his believers what to believe about other prophets. Um, Islam is the same. Muslims say they believe all the prophets, but what that means in practice is not that they read the books of the prophets, but that they listen to what Muhammad says about them. And so that, that's quite a different way of believing in the prophets to how you do. Now, to finish up, um, I've just tried to give you a, you know, a balanced picture on, on each side on some major doctrines there. Uh, why is it that a Christian should stay a Christian? Because Muslims will say to you, uh, you should become a Muslim. But I want to encourage you to stay a Christian. And my reason for that is really the last point that we looked at there. That what Christians believe, and Christianity, is not the message of one prophet. It's actually the unified message of many different prophets over a long period of time. So if you have a look at that table, you'll see that the fatherhood and son of God didn't begin with Christianity. It was actually there in the prophets over a thousand years before Christianity. The idea that there's a sacrifice for sin, a sacrifice that can be made to pay for your sins, that didn't begin with Christianity. It was there in the earlier prophets before Christianity and Jesus brings it to its fulfilment. The idea that God personally dwells with his people. Well, again, that's not a Christian idea. It began with the prophets over a thousand years before Jesus, but comes to its fulfilment with Jesus. There's a whole lot of things we could do for there, but I just want you to see that table that the Bible has this remarkable unity of scripture that these prophets speak with one voice from God over such a long period of time. And so that's why as a Christian, I would want to encourage you to, to stick with all the prophets and stick with the message of all the prophets and to stay a Christian. Thank you very much. We've hopefully got some time now for uh, some questions. Have a break, have a drink.